So one of the scripture readings for this week comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. It's the, it's the opening verses of the good book. And I'm going to read it to you from the message version. And it says this. First, this. God created the heavens and earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light and light appeared. God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning. Day one. I love this passage and I love Eugene Peterson's translation of it. Um, Not because it leads to debates of science versus literalism and seven-day creation. Uh, I've tried to study quantum physics. It broke my brain. And so for me, this passage is not about science, but what I love and what I appreciate about this passage is just kind of the sublime poetry of, of speaking something into existence, of speaking creation into existence. Um, because we know that words hold power. And this idea that words hold power is this very clear narrative and theme that runs throughout Scripture. We, we just read it here, God spoke, light and light appeared. We, we read it. Uh, In the opening of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we read that uh, the Word takes the form of God made flesh, uh, or as the message version puts it, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And so words hold power. Proverbs 18.21 says, words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit, you choose. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so words kind of build up or they tear down. Um, I recently read, and I don't know if you've read this, but uh, the Uluru Statement from the Heart. It's basically a single page, it's very easy read. Uh, if you haven't read it, do a search on that Uluru Statement and it'll come up on, on Google. Um, it's really challenging and it's really powerful. And basically what it is, is it represents... Uh, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices, the voices of First Nations people from across Australia. And it's essentially their one-page recommendation to the federal government as part of what was the 2017 National Constitutional Convention, looking at Australia's constitution and how uh, Indigenous people should be recognised or not in it. And sadly and quite disrespectfully, I think, it was kind of dismissed out of hand by our Prime Minister. And in my opinion, he kind of misrepresented what this statement was asking for. And what they're essentially asking for is a First Nations voice to be enshrined in the Constitution, which is the task that they were kind of set. And the document doesn't dictate how that's to happen. It doesn't kind of say, you must do it this way. It doesn't say what it should look like. Um, But really, the first peoples of this continent, people who were dispossessed and, and treated as animals on the false premise of what was known as terra nullius or nobody's land really just want a voice. They want a voice and they should have a voice. But one of the most uh, kind of powerful sentences in this statement uh, really struck me. It says this. In 1967 we were counted. In 2017 we seek to be heard. And so in 1967 the Australian populace essentially agreed that 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were kind of less flora and fauna, which is the act that they were covered by, and just as human as everyone else. And now 50 years later, the heart of First Nations people is to be heard. And, and being heard is about speaking truth to power, which is the title of my message, Speaking Truth to Power. I kind of did some research on that phrase, speaking truth to power, and there's a bit of kind of debate about where it comes from and, and who it's attributed to, but um, the, kind of the most popular reference is to the Quakers in the 1950s who were a Christian movement and a community who uh, kind of had some really uh, interesting and sustainable ways of living, but essentially they refused to participate in war and they refused to participate in violence. They were conscientious objectors. Um, but really, when we think about it, the history of speaking truth to power um, extends throughout time. It, it extends throughout history. Any occasion in which kind of anyone has really sort of dared to speak up for injustice, anyone who's risked their freedom and their life to do so, has essentially been speaking truth to power. And so that phrase, speaking truth to power, really kind of means speaking what we believe to be true to someone in authority, to someone in power, to someone who will probably take it as a criticism and will probably not like that criticism and will probably be offended and who probably has the power to kind of punish us, maybe even punitively, in some kind of way. You know, Moses, Jesus, Sir Thomas More, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, a kind of an obvious, I guess, short list of people speaking truth to power. Now I have to apologise for that list and the absence of any women's names in that short list. It's kind of, oh, there's many names, but it's another male, another male, William Wilberforce. But I kind of just think that's what happens when men write history. But anyway, that's not what this is about. Um, and social media too has kind of given rise to a new era of framing injustice and speaking truth to power. You know, we'd see the rise of various hashtags like Black Lives Matter and uh, Say Her Name and Love Wins and Love Makes Away and Me Too and um, Bring Them Here. And so really speaking truth to power is, is essentially a powerful non-violent challenge to injustice and totalitarian forces that are often perpetuated by government but, but not always. I once heard uh, a great description of speaking truth to power and basically as being uh, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Kind of figure that's what it's a bit about. It's about defending the powerless and shining a light on injustice and it's not necessarily about us speaking, about me speaking. It's often really about creating space for others to speak, for others to be heard. To, uh, we talked last year about passing the mic to, to those who rarely kind of get the opportunity. Um, so, I like to have a personal theme for my year. I don't know why, I've got issues. Um, a couple of years ago, my theme was the year of love. Uh, last year, my theme was the year of shalom or, or peace. And so this year, 2018, um, which makes me nervous and it'll probably make you nervous too, my theme is speaking truth to power. But what I don't think that involves is getting into more debates on Facebook and Twitter, which I am want to do, um, willingly or not. Um, dare I say it, neither of those platforms are really where power 
in its true form in the political, institutional and kind of authoritarian sense of the word genuinely reside. Instead, I kind of essentially really have great opportunity through my various roles, through invitation, through the people that I meet, the, the mayors and the CEOs, and, and essentially the opportunity to, to meet with power. And so my goal in 2018 is really to try and speak truth in those forums and in those situations and with those people and to do that well. But I've been kind of thinking about, well, how do I do that? Because speaking truth to power is not about my agenda. It's not about what I want to achieve. It's not about my own goal or my own gain. It's really about the common good. And I also recognize that speaking truth to power is not done easily and it's not without great cost. Power doesn't like to be challenged. And so in my prayer time, I've really kind of been uh, seeking a sense of what it is that I kind of need to focus on this year. And I just want to share four things that I've come up with, not because I think that they're your things, but maybe some of them will resonate with you. Maybe some of them will kind of help you to discover your things for this year, or at least hopefully spark some conversation in a moment. And so the first thing for me, and I'm really just going to cover these very briefly, uh, is personal responsibility. I've kind of gone through this process of owning, owning my stuff. Um, I was going to use another S word here, but I want to try and keep it PG. So I really kind of owning my stuff. And what I mean by that is that often when things are not going well in my life, and you may be surprised to know that I often feel that they're not, um, whether that's in my relationships, whether that's in my thinking, um, I often have a very clear sense of how someone has contributed to how things aren't going well in my life and why and how I reckon they need to own that. And sure, I take responsibility for my part in that to some point, but I'm really determined for them to take their own responsibility and own their stuff, and I kind of get stuck there. It's like, you need to own that. Well, you need to own that. And we kind of get in this tit for tat, either in my own head or in conversation about owning stuff. And so I've come to this point where it's, I've realized that it's only when I kind of let that go and wholly and solely focus on my choices and my responsibilities that I actually begin to progress and kind of grow and change. Because the reality, as much as I would like to think otherwise, is that I alone am responsible for my actions and my thoughts and my behaviours and my choices. I'm responsible for my mental health and for my emotional, physical and spiritual health. And sure, I can blame other people for that, but... I choose how I respond and I choose how I put healthy or unhealthy frameworks in place to kind of address those things. You know, I'm, I alone am personally responsible for seeking forgiveness and, and for saying sorry and, and for moving forward. It's not my responsibility to impose that on anyone else. And so I need to own that. I need to own my own failings and my inadequacies and my disciplines or my lack of discipline. Um, and so personal responsibility is something that I've kind of really picked up on for this year. The second thing for me, which kind of kicks on from that, uh, is surrender. Shifting, for me, from kind of this self-centered point of view to, to a Jesus-centered or a Christ-centered point. And my favorite worship song at the moment is Lay It All Down. I don't, I don't know if you've heard it by Will Reagan and United Pursuit. It, it basically just talks, it basically says lay it all down a lot. But 
Um, it talks about taking everything that we have, the good, the bad, the indifferent, and, and just laying it all at the feet of Jesus. And really laying it all down is kind of recognizing that not only are we all made in the image of God, but we're actually also transformed into his image by the love and the grace of Jesus and on our part in that process only by surrender. Surrender is kind of the, really the great paradox at the heart of Jesus' message. He talks about the last being the first and the first being last. He talks about uh, how blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek and the least. And so uh, I've realized that, you know, I only receive Jesus' love by re surrender. I only receive his grace by surrender. I only forgive by surrender. I only am forgiven by surrender. And so increasingly, the question that I'm kind of asking myself at the beginning of each day is, is what do I need to surrender? What do I need to kind of give over? And that doesn't mean that I do nothing, that I sit on the couch and kind of just wait for something to happen. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm beholden to the whim of kind of whoever or whatever happens to me. It just means for me that, that my focus is less on my agenda, my inadequacies, my issues, my self-importance, and more open to the collective and to community, more kind of open to what's going on around me in my household and, and my workplace and my street, and kind of getting a sense of what my part to play might be in all that. So personal responsibility, surrender. The third thing or idea for my focus for this year, um, and it's kind of depressing, but it's kind of liberating, uh, is that our life is really just a vapor. Life is fleeting, life, life is fragile. I just spent 24 hours in Lady Salento Hospital and, and it's just a whole other world. It, it, absolutely take my hat off to, to the doctors and the nurses that work in those facilities. Um, but it just reminded me of how fleeting and fragile and how vulnerable, but also how beautiful and wonderful life is. Um, my mother-in-law has a saying, which you may have heard, she says it a lot, and she says it in a thick Italian accent, so I'm, but I'm not going to say it that way. But basically she says, no one gets out of this world alive. It's a pretty obvious statement. Uh, but it's a kind of a reminder to me that we really should appreciate what we have kind of while we have it. You know, we, we, each of us here have been given another day. We have, by the sheer fact that we're alive. And, you know, another day to live, and another day to laugh, and another day to love, and, and another day to cry, and another day to sing, and another day to eat and another day to converse. And I've really kind of been challenged in myself to be more grateful for that. <clears throat> like, how great is it to be able to sit here in air conditioning in a great cafe and enjoy each other's company? Uh, and I've been challenged to be more present, uh, not always jumping ahead, which I'm very much inclined to do to the next thing and the next project and the thing after that. Uh, because when I do that, I, I miss out on stuff. I, I miss out um, on what's going on around me. I miss out on my kids. I miss out and, and I kind of fail to appreciate uh, what I have here and now. And so the, and the fourth and final thing for me this year is really uh, legacy. What am I leaving behind? What am I leaving behind for my children, whether they be my natural children or spiritual or figurative and then beyond that, what, are, what am I leaving behind for their children? What state will be, the planet be in on a 47 degree day in Sydney? What, what condition will their communities be in? What, how 
have I left their world better or hopefully in a less worse state? How uh, have I equipped them to, to do much better than I did? How have I cared for and empowered the poor and the marginalised and the vulnerable and the lost and the least? They're really big questions, um, but for me they're important ones. So personal responsibility, surrender, the fragility and beauty and vulnerability of life and legacy are really kind of all critical aspects for me in speaking truth to power uh, well this year. Because words hold power. And whilst we recognise that speaking truth to power requires an understanding that power isn't going to easily or willingly give up its advantage or its position, our words and our actions really matter. They can really make a difference. And, and used well, our words and actions can actually compel the powerful to share their advantage, can compel the powerful to kind of do stuff more for the collective good. And I think ultimately that using, used well, uh, speaking truth to power kind of changes me and you and them, those kind of terms, to us, to the collective. It, it shifts divisive and self-centered agendas to more collective ones. And so my hope and my prayer for 2018 is that there would be more us in the kind of the use of that term as a communal term, more, more collective, more community, more common good in the conversation and really, I guess, how we conduct our lives. That's my prayer. Amen. Amen.